Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. I have uh, conducted many weddings in my lifetime as a pastor. I've been asked to conduct uh, many weddings, and I have also uh, conducted weddings of people that do not attend the church. Because there was a time when I was the, uh, I guess I was the official uh, minister on hire. Uh, It's a way I supplement my income when I would hire out my services for people that needed to get married at a certain venue and they didn't have a preacher in town, so they would call me. So I've done a lot of weddings, Uh, some for believers, some for non-believers. I've conducted a lot of weddings, but I can tell you that I've only conducted one marriage. You do know there's a difference between a wedding and a marriage, right? A wedding is a one-time thing. A marriage is something that takes a lifetime to live out. So when I come to you today and talk to you about marriage, I have two sources that I can draw from. I can draw from my own experiences of my marriage, and I can draw from the Word of God. Uh, I'm going to trust the Word of God more than I'm going to trust my own. Uh, So uh, that's what we're going to look at today. It was the same way with the Apostle Peter. We know that Peter was married because the Bible says that Peter had a mother-in-law. And from what I know, you do not get a mother-in-law unless you get a wife. So he had a mother-in-law. He was married. We know that he traveled around with his wife, as the Bible explains to us in many places. So Peter was the same way. When he talked about marriage, he had two sources he could draw from. He could draw from the Word of God, and he could draw from his own experience with his wife. Now, I recognize the subject of marriage is difficult. Uh, I recognize that in many ways, marriage is falling on difficult times. It's not what it used to be many years ago. It's trouble. Many people today do not believe in marriage. They do not believe in in making a lifetime commitment. And, And people have various attitudes about marriage. But to me, if there's a timeless truth that we need today in these troubling times, it's what's God's view of marriage. What is God's word to us marriage, Because I believe a strong marriage is one of the things that can get you through troubling times. When life is hard and when life gets you down, if you have a strong marriage, it will help you endure those troubling times that God may put before you. So open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 as we continue our series on uh, 1 Peter. Now I recognize in this room that Many of you may not be married at this stage in your life, but you have been married. But you might know some children or some grandchildren that might need these words of encouragement. So God's word is true, whether we're we're single or married. His word is still true. And one of the advantages and one of the disadvantages of going through a, a book of the Bible is you deal with every passage as it comes up in the Bible. So we're going to deal with this today. We're going to look at these words in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 under the heading, Hope for your marriage. Listen to what uh, Peter says. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, 
who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Two aspects. First, look at the role of the wife. Then we're going to look at the role of the husband. Let's talk about the wife first. Now, before I define the role of the wives, I've got to give a disclaimer, okay? This is for my protection, okay? Paul writes six verses for wives, only one for men. So if I spend an adverse amount of time on the wives, I I want you to know this is the the way God's Word lines it out for me, okay? Uh, So ladies, do not get mad at me as as I spend some time talking about women. Um, And uh, I hope you know this is not coming from my personal view. This is coming from the view of Scripture and what it says. The first thing we see as we look at this passage in verse 1, we see that wives, you are to be submissive. Notice it says wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Now, many today do not think that's appropriate. Many today do not like this idea of wives submitting to their husbands. They think it makes the wives inferior. They, they think it degrades the woman. They think it makes that woman less than a man. Let me tell you what, that is not what this passage is teaching. It is not in any way degrading women. It's not making women inferior to men. It's simply, this is God's way, said this is how marriage works. This is the way it was. It's talking about roles. It's talking about responsibilities within that that structure that God has created in marriage. He said, this is the way God put things together. This is the way God designed marriage to work. If you look at this word submissive, it's the same word that's used in chapter 2, verse 13. It's the same word as used in chapter 2, verse 18, where, Paul, where Peter says that we are to submit to the government that's over us. We are to submit to those authorities that are over us. We are also to submit as employees to our employers in that situation. And so some would say, well, I only have to submit if, if I have, have, a, have, a, have a good husband. Uh, you know, that's what they think. Well, that's not the, not the context. As a matter of fact, the context reveals this truth. In this particular situation, look at verse 1. It says, be submissive to your husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. So Peter is writing to a specific group of individuals. He's talking about women whose husbands may not be believers. But I think we can transcend that to men as well, husbands that may have wives who are not believers. You see, what was going on in, in the first century is there are many, many women that, that were, uh, uh, many women that were coming to the Lord. And their, but their husbands did not know the Lord. So Peter said, you are, 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 are to submit to them in, in this way. You are to submit to that. So he, here's what was going on in, in those days. The, the women were, were wanting, well, we'll come to that. We'll come to that in, in, a, in a little later. We'll come to that a little bit later. Uh, he says, submit to them. Remember, Paul said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So Peter and Paul are saying the same thing, be submissive. 
He's saying that wives are to submit to their husbands just as the church submits to Christ. And so those wives that have a problem submitting to their husbands, I would ask you a question. Do you have a problem with the church submitting to Christ? Because, see, you cannot have your submission one way and not have it the other way. You cannot just uh, say, well, that's culturally not significant for us. Because once you say, I'm not going to submit to my husband, you say, then the church has no right, does not have to submit to Christ. I, for one, do not want to go there. I, I want to uh, see what God has to say so we can go there. I, and I know this idea of submission is a hot-button issue in our culture today. It gets people upset. People get worked up over this idea. Yet God's Word says, this is the way marriage works. This is the way I designed it. Let me see if I can illustrate this. A couple weeks ago, I went up to Whitney to mow my mom and dad's yard. My dad has a couple of acres, and he's not able to do it. So I went up to mow the yard. I went out there, and I noticed that the mower did not have gasoline in it. So I went down to the store, bought the gasoline, came back, and I poured gasoline into the motor. It worked great. Let's just decide that I didn't think that was the way the mower ought to work. I don't like that. I've got my own way this ought to work. And so I decided to open up and just pour gasoline all over the engine. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Y'all do know that, right? Alan, you know that, right? Okay. I didn't know if you ever mowed a yard, brother. I wasn't for sure. Okay. <laughs> I always find one person in the morning that I can, I can give a good time to. I, uh, so, But uh, so see, that's not the way it was designed. The way it's designed is you pour the gasoline into the, into the, in the tank. The gasoline submits to the carburetor, and the carburetor fires off the engine. You see the way it works? That's the way it's designed to work. In the same way, God says, this is the way I've designed marriage to work. This is what he's trying to show us. God says, I designed marriage. This is the way I ordained it to work. This is the way I created it to work. And a wife needs to understand how God has put the family together and she works accordingly under the design of God. By the way, ladies, I want you to notice something in here. It says, be submissive to your husbands, not to somebody else's husband. You are to submit to your husband. This doesn't mean you submit to other men. It doesn't mean you submit to other husbands. You submit to your husband as to the Lord. So he's not placing you below man, but he's placing you under the authority of your husband because that's the way it works. But he not only says you ought to be submissive, he says you are to be an example. Look at verse 1. Be submissive to your husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. How? By the behavior of their wives. Here's what Peter is saying. He says, here is how a godly woman is to be a testimony to her husband. She is to do it without saying a word. Do it without a whole lot of talking. Now, I know that most of us would probably say uh, less talking would be better. We could probably all learn to speak less and listen more. You know, as the, we know, about, they give us two ears, one mouth. So maybe we should listen twice as much as we speak. But he, here's a wife, and she's just come to the Lord. You see, in the first century, many people were coming to the Lord. Many times, a woman would come to the Lord before a husband would come to the Lord. So he, here we see some people coming to the Lord. Women are coming to the Lord. And she wants her husband to have a professor of faith. She wants her husband to become a Christian. And so she gets a little eagerly, and so she starts preaching to him at home. 
And she starts, starts telling him about Jesus. Why? Because she loves him. And she wants to see him in eternity. But she wants to do that. And so she gets a little overzealous in her presentation. And it kind of turns him off a little bit. But she's, she's still overzealous. You know? So she starts uh, putting John 3.16 uh, on her refrigerator. She puts it on his beer can. You know, John 3.16. She puts little religious tracks under his pillow at night. And then she gets really spiritual. And she tunes in my sermons on, on the internet. And, and blares him out while, while he's watching the Cowboys on TV or the Bears. She's got my sermon going loud and loud. Okay, maybe I'm being a little, uh, a little uh, <laughs> out there. But you get my point. She's going to greater extremes to, to bring her husband into relationship with the Lord. Uh, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. What does Peter say? You do it by your behavior. You do it by the way you live your life. In front of in verse 2, he adds these words. By the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. He's saying that testimony, your testimony is seen and not so much heard. Remember, he's talking about somebody married to an unbeliever. Women, you want to know how to win your husbands to the Lord? You be the very best wife he could ever have. And somewhere along the way, he may look at your life, he may look at your example and say, there's something different about you. There's something going on in your life. I don't quite know what it is. And that might give you an opportunity at that time to share the word with him so that he too may turn to Christ. So you ought to be submissive. You ought to be an example. Third, you ought to focus on the inside, not the outside. Look at verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. He's talking about your appearance. He's talking about what you look like. Now, there are some groups who have misunderstood this verse. And so they, they look at this verse, they say, so we shouldn't take care of ourselves. So they run around the house in sweatpants and baggy t-shirts and flip-flops, don't do anything to their, to their hair, don't do anything to, the, to their face. And they say, well, I'm just trying to be biblical. I'm just trying to be biblical. I said, well, you know, no, you're not being biblical. You're being silly is what you're being. Uh, because if we were to take this, you know, what they say, well, the Bible says right there that we shouldn't focus on our outward adornment. We shouldn't braid our hair. We shouldn't wear a gold jewelry. We shouldn't find the clothes. We have to be careful when we, when we look at things like this because if we were to take this verse literally, this is what it would say in the original languages. Uh, from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and clothes. You see, the word fine is not in the biblical text. They've added that to qualify it. So if we were to take this passage literally, ladies, this is what you'd be doing. You wouldn't be braiding your hair, you wouldn't be wearing any joy, and you'd run around naked. Now, your husband might like that, okay? But I'm going to tell you what, the rest of us do not want to see that, okay? So be careful, be careful when you start interpreting Scripture the way you want it, and make sure you got it right. What he's trying to, to tell us in this, in this passage is put your focus on the inside, not on what's on the outside. If you are beautiful on the inside, guess what? It's going to reflect itself on the outside. He's not saying it's unimportant how a Christian wife looks. I think you ought to look great for your husband. 
I think you ought, you ought to look as good for him as you did on, on that wedding day. Most people, most wives, they look the best they've ever looked at a wedding. Well, it didn't matter after that. I've already got him. No, you ought to always look good for your wife, and husbands ought to be the same way. We should do that the best we can. Why do we do that? Look at verse 4. He says, instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Here's what he's saying. The outward fades. The inward remains. The outward is temporal. The inward is eternal. The testimony of who you are on the inside would never grow old. It will always be the same. Then in verse 5, he gives us an example. And he says, our example is not from Hollywood. Our example is not from some rock star, some country and western uh, couple. That's not what our example is. We look to the Bible to find examples of this. Uh, look at what he says in verses 5 6. He brings up the name of Sarah. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. He's focusing on the inward character. Then he adds that she was submissive to her husband. And we're talking about when Sarah was 90 years old. At 90 years old, King Amimelech tried to seduce her. Now, guys, that is some drop-dead gorgeous at 90 years old. But she focused on her inward beauty. He said, this is an example of a godly wife. She's submissive, and she's trusting God. Look at the verse, end of verse 6. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Let me put this in the Old Testament context. There were two times that Abraham asked his wife to pose as his sister for his protection. He said, hey, they're going to find you beautiful because they find you beautiful. They're going to kill me and they're going to take you as a wife. So why don't you just pose as my sister? That way I'll be protected from that. He was an idiot, I know. It does, he was a man of God, a man of faith, but he didn't always make wise decisions, okay? But what did she do? She could have gave her opinion. She was okay about sharing her opinion, but she submitted herself. She was able to do that. Why did she do that? Because she didn't give way to fear. She already put her hope in God. And she knew that God was going to make it right. What do we learn from Jesus? Why was Jesus able to take the abuse? Why was Jesus able to endure such heartache? Because he had already entrusted himself to the one who judges rightly. Wives, you submit yourselves to your husbands. And you trust God. Your husband's going to make some stupid decisions. He's going to make some decisions that, that may not go the way that you think they should go. He's going to screw up. He's going to make mistakes. And he may not do what you want him to do, but you still do what you're called to do. It's not easy. It's not easy. But Peter, Peter would, would not have you to submit to the Lord if it wasn't possible. That's why he asks you to do it. That's why he commands you to do it. That's why Paul tells us to do it, because he knows it's hard. That's why he's asking you, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to do that. So that's the role of wives. Now let's look at the role of husbands. Oh, you thought you were going to get off, didn't you? Let's look at the role 
of husbands. Well, what's amazing to me is I get three, three good topics out of six verses, and I get three out of one verse from men. Yeah, men, he's straight to the point of men because we don't have big attention spans. So he gets us really quick. Look at what he says, the role of hus- husbands in the same way. Here's what he's saying. He's, it's the repetition. He said, just as women have a role in the marriage, so do you as men have a role. You see, we can't put it all on our wives. I don't know how many men, uh, just this last week, uh, we were just kind of joking about it. And a guy said, look here, it just says right there, wives submit to your husbands. Wives submit to your husbands. And he was joking around and kidding. But uh, sometimes men say that and they're not joking. They're not kidding. Well, marriage would be great if my wife would just submit to me. I say, well, maybe if you were more like Jesus, she wouldn't have a problem submitting to you. I know how many times people come into my office, and I just don't do counseling. I find out when I, I don't do counseling, I give biblical advice. Here's what the Bible says, take it or leave it. You know, uh, you know, but they want to come and talk about their feelings and all this stuff, and they drag this out for three, four, five, six, eight sessions. I say, look, I'm not a counselor, man. Go to pay somebody to counsel you. If you want some biblical advice, if you want some biblical wisdom, I'll give it to you. But if you're not going to accept that, then I really can't help you in that situation. I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you. But they'll come in and say, we need help with our marriage. And, 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 and I don't know how many times I've told them, I said, look, a husband can't be a wife and a wife can't be a husband. You have to perform your roles. You have to take responsibility for your actions. You have to do what you can do and trust them to do what they can do. What does he say? He says, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. The first thing we ought to be, men, we ought to be considerate. As we are making our lives together, we ought to understand our wives. Can I just give you some words of wisdom here? Women do not come with an instruction manual. It wouldn't matter, we wouldn't read it anyway. They don't come with an instruction manual. Wives do not come with an instruction manual. We have to do everything we can to understand our wives. What makes them tick? What are their feelings? How's this affecting them? Learn all you can about your wife. I want you to know, men, they are different. If you haven't figured that out by now, well, you're still learning. Put, it's gonna, you're going to have to put forth some effort to understand your wife. It's not easy. It's not easy. I know that I have made some boneheaded decisions in my life that affected my wife. And she just accepted it and said, okay. I knew she's boiling on the inside. But to her credit, you know, to her credit, she's a lot like Sarah. Said, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Even though he makes some stupid decisions, I'm going to trust you, God. You know, even when I made some stupid decisions, she submitted to me. You got to get me considered. You got to learn her fears. You can learn what are her concerns, how she responds to things. And listen, it takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. Just when you think you have her figured out, she throws you a curve. I mean, I didn't see that one coming. Where'd that one come from? I said, well, okay, it, you know, something's going on different. That's why it takes a lifetime. A wedding is one day. A marriage is a lifetime commitment that we make to one another. He says you ought to be considerate. Second, he says you ought to be respectful. Look at verse 7. 
In the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Treat them with respect. As you are considerate of them, you begin to respect their opinions. You begin to value their judgment. You begin to value their wisdom. You begin to value their insight. And you realize that, man, this is the perfect helper that God intended me to have. She completes me. She makes me whole. And then you remember what God said in Genesis chapter 2, 3, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You begin to realize that the woman that God made to you is perfectly suitable to you. And it's the way that God designed it to be. She completes you. She makes you whole so that you can be all the man that God wants you to be and she can be all the woman that God wants her to be. We need to understand that our wives are, are, are there to help us. To help us. Part of this respect has to do with the fact that they are a weaker partner. That's what it says in the passage. With respect as the weaker partner partner. Listen, let me tell you what it's not talking about here. It's not talking about a woman's moral stamina. It's not talking about her strength of character. It's not talking about her mental capacity. Can I tell you what it's talking about? It's talking about physical difference. There's a physical difference between men and women. Women, I I, I know there's always an exception to the rule, okay? Men are stronger than women, Physically, we are stronger. One, uh, one therapist, he said it this way. If you took 100 men and you lined them up on one side of a ditch and you took 100 women and lined them up on the other side of the ditch and they had to tie a tug of war, the men would win every time. Every time. He said it's just a fact of nature. Men are stronger, physically stronger than women. Women. This is what he's saying about that. Uh, One of the problems with the feminist movement is is that they think that women can do everything that men can do. No, they can't. There's always an exception to the rule. There's always one gal out there, I don't want to meet her in a lighted alley, much less a dark alley. But I'm a pacifist, okay? There's always that one out there. I had one in in high school. I, I, I won't mention her name. I had one, and she was lifting weights, you know. I think she could probably pump me, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, I was scared of her, I have to admit. You know, I was a little wiry guy, about 139 pounds. I wasn't, you know, you know that was when I was wet, you know. Uh, she scared me. She scared me. I think she probably could have beat up most of the men in school. But generally speaking, women are weaker than men. A man has to recognize the fact that women are physically weaker. Why is that? We take care of her. We treat her with respect. We treat her with honor. And we treat her with dignity. We never, we, we, we are never, it's never appropriate to be critical of your wife. You place that woman upon a pedestal and you treat her like a princess and you admire her and you love her and you care for her and you protect her. That's what you're supposed to do. So you're to be considerate, you're to be respectful. Finally, men, you are to spiritually lead. Look at verse 7. Respect his weaker partner and his heirs with you are the gracious gift of life. Here's what Peter is saying. Women come into the kingdom of God the exact same way you come into the kingdom of God. There's nothing different. They come exactly the same way 
as you come into the kingdom of God. He says, so you recognize that. And because they come in the kingdom of God the same way that you come in the kingdom of God, guess what? You are to take the spiritual lead in your family. You have the responsibility to be the spiritual leader of your family. Men, take the lead. Don't let your wife dictate when you go to church or if you go to church. You lead. Whether she goes or not, you lead by example. You are the spiritual leader. You offer prayers at the table. You offer the devotionals in the house. You take the lead in that. Don't give it to women. Because I'm going to tell you something about women. If you don't lead, they will. They will. Because they are powerful. They are powerful. And I'm telling tell you, that most of the time in the churches I've been in, there's many more godly women than there are godly men. You know why? Because men don't take the lead. We're mamby-pambies. We're afraid we might hurt somebody's feelings. Take the lead. Take the lead. Verse 7. Again, as heirs with you, the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Here's what he's saying. Men, get this on me. Our relationship with our wives hinders our prayer life. If we're not getting this right in our families... If we're not being considerate of our wives, and we're not being respectful for wives, and we're not leading them spiritually, guess what? Peter says it's going to hinder your prayer life. Why should God listen to your prayers when you're not even doing the simple things that you can do in your own home? You ought to be the spiritual leader in your marriage. You ought to be the spiritual head of your wife. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. He goes, Husbands are the head of their wives as Christ is the head of the church. What's he say there? He said, the husbands are the spiritual head of the family just as Christ is the spiritual head of the church. That's what he's saying. It's not a matter of men being over women. It's a matter of priority. It's a matter of, of, of authority. It's a matter of the way God has structured things to work. So in verses 1 through 7, Paul has laid out the role of husbands and he's laid out the role of wives. Here's what I believe. This is a timeless truth that we need in these troubling times in which we live. Marriage is under attack. And listen, Satan knows what he's doing. He knows if he can destroy the foundation of marriage, he can destroy the foundation of society. God knew what he was doing when he ordained marriage. In the Garden of Eden, marriage was the foundation of a civilized society. Marriage was the foundation of what, how God wanted to organize and structure things to work. It starts in the home, and from the home, it radiates from the home. As our, as our boys and as our girls watch us model Christ, as they watch us model what God has designed, it affects them as they go out and they marry young men and they marry young ladies. They will be able to replicate what we're teaching, and we can transform society if we would just transform our marriages. This has nothing to do with equality or inequality. It has nothing to do with men being better than women. Men, you know that most of the time women are better than us anyway. That's why they make us better. They make us better. I'm so thankful for the wife that God gave me. I'm so thankful that she had sympathy for me when she married me. 
She looked at me and said, Lord, help me. <laughs> Lord, help me. And she married me. This is the timeless truth. Whether you're single, whether you're married, or whether you're thinking about getting married, or whether you, your married days are past, God's word is still true. God's word is still true. Teach it to your children. Teach it to your grandchildren. When you rise up and when you walk, when you go to work, when you go home, teach it to your children so that they too may be blessed. We're going to have a time of invitation. Give you an opportunity to respond. I don't know how you need to respond. You know what I, I would suggest? I'm not looking for anybody to come forward. Maybe you husbands and wives. I know there's not as many of you in this one as there might be in the second service, but maybe you husbands and wives. Maybe just grab your wife's hand. And husbands, why don't you just pray with her right where you're at? Thank God for your wife. And then ask God, God, would you give me the wisdom to know how to lead this godly woman to fall more in love with Jesus every day? I think that would be the invitation this morning. And for you ladies that you have modeled that in your life, God bless you. God bless you. If you men that maybe your wives have passed on, God bless you. I hope these words have been an affirmation to you that you got it right. You got it right. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer? Father God, I come before your presence this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here today to pray, to seek your face, to worship. Father, to hear from your word. Lord, I know these words aren't popular today. Even in churches, Father, there will be people that won't stand up for this truth. Or the, they would choose, Father, to surround themselves with people that would satisfy their itching ears. But God, your word is true. It never said, Lord, if we have to like it or we have to fully embrace it. But God, your word is true. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to understand it in a way that we can apply it to our lives so that we can model to the world what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Because God, we need that in the world today. I thank you for the ones that are here. I thank you, Father, for all the marriages that are represented in this room. And I pray, Father, we would take your truth, apply it to our lives, and live it out before the world. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.